Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, well, we're just going to jump right into this. I want uh, for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. Let me just read the scriptures, so then, then I'll explain what the Lord's placed in my heart here today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This really goes along with what we've been sharing the last few weeks. We've looked at the Christmas story from a few different perspectives. Isaiah's, we looked at this light piercing into the darkness. We looked at the Christmas perspective from Mary. In order to receive and bear the promise of God, she would ultimately have to throw aside all control over her life. And ultimately, God birthed something miraculous through her because she had a yielding yes in her heart. And really, what I want to do today is look at the Christmas story from the perspective of of God. And I want to just see the heart of the Father coming to be near with us. There's really one scripture that I want to just focus on. In fact, it's just three words, but let me just read a little bit in context here. I'm reading out of the NIV. This is Matthew chapter 1, and starting in verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here's the verse I really want to focus on, verse 23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. I think one of the great... Traps and dangers that I fall into a lot within Christianity is that you can adopt the language and your heart really is never caught up to what it is that you're professing. We can speak the language, but in actuality, we're not really connecting with the weight of what it is that we're declaring. When we say, Emmanuel, God with us, I I want to just unpack a little bit the awe and the beauty that the infinite, majestic creator would enter into this world in order to redeem us and to save us. And what God really placed on my heart for us today is something specific with that. I want to speak with you. Just hear me on this. I want to speak with you on the present presence. On the present presence. I think this is so, so important for us as a people. It does not say God was with us in a moment. He wasn't just with us at salvation or in the past. And it does not say that God will be with us in the future. There is this declaration of God being available in the present. Right here in this moment, the infinite God through the precious blood of Jesus has made himself available to each and every one of us. The very one that our heart longs for and was made for has made a way for us to know him again in the most intimate of ways. And yes, the best present we can have is the presence. So that's an added bonus to the, to the message title. <laughs> but it's true, because often, it, all of us, what do we want? We often want his presence, but not his presence. Listen, it doesn't matter if God gives you a continent. If you're not touching him and walking intimately with him, it doesn't mean anything. 
It's him. He's everything that we need. He's the one that our heart has been made for. And he's made himself available through Jesus. So let me just share real quick on the beauty of union with God. And then I want to really speak to this, the power of what we have available, the present presence that's been made available to us right here in this moment. God with us makes it real clear that the purpose of the Christmas story, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the gospel, it's just the Christmas story is really just putting a, an actual outward expression to the heart of God that's always been there from the beginning, which is God wants to be with us. He wants to be near us. If you'd ask God, what are you after in my life? What do you want to do? Before he ever says, I, I want to send you here and do this and use you this way, his first response is always, I just want you. I just want you. There's nothing more. You weren't created out of necessity. You were created out of a superabundance of love. He simply wants to be in relationship with you. Every other religion will proclaim a prophet or somehow that's the foundation they came to declare the way of life. But Christianity is different. We know that there's no way that man could ever work his way into a relationship with a holy God. So God came to us, not a prophet, God himself, to declare that I am the way. I am the life. You see, if we needed something else, God would have sent it. All we actually need, because we're going to see this, if we have him in every moment, we'll see that all the striving in our life is a failure to see what it is that God has given us access to right here and right now. And here's the beauty is that the Christmas story, it really doesn't stop with the birth of Jesus. It really doesn't stop with the death of Jesus. It doesn't even stop with the resurrection because after that, he would ascend to the Father and his spirit would be poured out. And ultimately, all those who confess the name of Christ are born again with the spirit of God, which means the true heart of God, the true purpose of the Christmas story is for the broken communion to be restored with man and God. The very thing that was severed in the garden. And since then, we see the restlessness of man's heart. One of the famous church fathers said the, the, the heart of man is restless until it rests in him. You see throughout the scriptures and out life, the restless heart being severed from their maker. But the good news and the glorious news of Christmas is that God has come to be with us. Listen to me, salvation is a beautiful thing to be born again, justified, righteous. God declares you justified, righteous. But all of those things are meant to take you somewhere. You haven't just received a new legal position. He's brought you into union with himself. This is the heart. This is what he's always been after. And for some, as myself, sometimes the awe of this is just lost. That the infinite God would draw near to us and make a way for us to know him. But I want to just take one moment to think about the Old Testament. Do you know that in the Old Testament when man would come near, draw near to the presence of God, you know it was terrifying? Because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, they were terrified to come into the presence of God. And so God would manifest in some really crazy ways before people. Before Abraham, it was a, it was a smoking furnace, this blazing furnace. Before Job, it was a whirlwind and a tornado. Moses cried out, let me see your face, God. And God actually says, if, if you come that close, not literally the face, but let me come in close proximity and relationship, he said, you'll actually die. And whatever this means, God said, you can see my backside. I don't know what exactly that is, but he, he saw the backside of God, and his face was, face was radiating with glory when he saw just the backside. Can you imagine if Moses was here today and he could hear us share the Christmas story? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld the glory of God in the sun. Moses would say, are you kidding me? Everything that I was denied, you have access to. Where's the joy? Where's the excitement? You can behold the glory of God in the face of the sun through his word and through the precious spirit that has been put inside of you. Jesus has made a way for us to draw near to the precious presence of God. And it came at the highest cost. He gave up his own life to bring us there because we mean that much to him. Which means one thing, that the Christmas story, in other words, God with us. Listen to me, God is not satisfied. He doesn't want to just be a concept to you. He doesn't want to just be a teaching to you. He doesn't want to just be a charm that you hang around your neck. He doesn't want to just be a name that you think about on Sundays. He wants to be all in all. You were made to know him. And that's why he moved heaven and earth to make a way for you to draw near to him. Oh, that we would no longer be content with just cliche, easy, empty phrases, but we would have a hunger for the knowledge of God because he has made himself available to us. But here's, here's the heart of it. Here's what I want to share with you. This incredible union has been made available to us. Why is this so important? He's not just God was with us. He's not just God will be with us. He's God with us right now. Because when I think about my life, and I think about so many that I speak with, I see a culture that is just so empty and hungry. Even as born-again believers, I see a people, I see to myself so often, it says that the riches of God are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We have access to the riches of God in Christ, true riches. I mean joy that's inexpressible, peace that surpasses understanding, sonship and identity. And yet so often the treasures of God, they, they lay as unclaimed treasures in our hearts because we've lost the secret of just beholding and giving him attention and being with the God who is with us here in this very moment. To give attention to his precious presence that he's given to us. And maybe you relate to this, but I see a culture that's constantly striving. We have to go create purpose. We have to have to find a way to, to, to be accepted. If I only obtain this, if I only accomplish this, if I only look like this, do this, I'll have some sense of value, worth, purpose. The list goes on and on and on. There's this thing in our heart that is just longing for someone or something to be satisfied. And the point I'm trying to make is that God is with us in the moment. And if we would be a people who turn our attention and learn to walk intimately, intimately with the one that our hearts have always longed for, we will see satisfaction take place. All of the grasping and striving, the relationship that we can't get out of because even though it's abusive, we can't get out of it because we're so empty and hungry and thirsting. If we would just see that God, the one that we need, has made himself available, all of these things would be dealt with in our life. And if you're anything like me, most of my discouragement and most of my depression comes because I'm not content in him. And so I'm convinced that there's more that I need. And so I start grasping and going after things only to find that when I get them, they don't really satisfy like they said they would or I can't obtain them. And so I get extremely discouraged and depressed. And God, I just believe he's sharing a word over this body to say, I am with you. To be a people that prioritize him. Learn to walk with him. Look, it's this simple. You can, there we are called to live a lifestyle of beholding. That's our mission, beholding him to become like him. It's that simple. We center our lives on Jesus. There's nothing more because he is life. 
We're not after just doing church because that's empty after a while. We want him. And we, we behold him at all times, but you cannot, you cannot replace precious time with just being alone with him. He's looking for people that would prioritize him to just be alone with him, be in his word, stillness before him, to hear his voice and to live from this place. Look at Psalm 46.10. It says this. I'll, I'll read it out to you. Many of you know it from um, probably be still and know that I am the Lord, but I want to read it from the New American Standard. I love how it says it. It says this. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted. And verse 11 says, why? For the Lord of hosts is with us. Cease striving. The restless heart that is striving. Cease the worry. Cease the fear. Cease the anxiety of trying to hold everything together. Why? Because God is with you in this moment. When, when sin occurred in Genesis, what you see is profound fear gripped the heart of man. Fear of rejection and failure. But when you are intimate with him and you receive his love, it crushes, it crushes that desire to need approval from every single person. Fear of circumstance and future, but when you are intimate with him, who you know is good and sovereign, oh, it can lead you to a place of trust. Everything gets swallowed up. Every craving of the soul is swallowed up in knowing Emmanuel, God is with us in this moment. Leonard Ravenhill says it this way. I love Leonard Ravenhill. He says, the more that you reach for things on the outside, the more you point to your bankruptcy on the inside. Man, we're a culture of grabbers constantly reaching out, and the only thing it shows is that we're bankrupt on the inside. And don't think, well, I am born again. I know the Lord. Oh, my goodness. So much of my life is, when I look at it, I see this is what it is. Because I haven't learned how to prioritize him and just walk with him so intimately. My, my heart would be satisfied. And I'm constantly grasping. All it shows is that I really don't know him. There's a break in my intimacy with him. But God's heart is to deeply satisfy everyone here. L listen to Just listen to this. In Psalm 81, I'll kind of abbreviate some of, this, some of these verses, but... From 10 to 16, this is God speaking to us. He says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Listen to this. If my people would only listen to me, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. And you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God says, if you would just open your mouth, if you would just come to me. I would satisfy you. The thing that you feel so restless inside, if you would learn to really walk with me, give me your attention, learn to have your gaze of your soul upon me, he says, I will satisfy the cravings of your heart. That's what God's saying. Simply let me be your satisfaction. I created you for me. He finds joy when we are satisfied in him. It's his heart. It's why he's come near to us. Listen to this A.W. Tozer from The Pursuit of God. One of the best books I've ever read. Listen to this, this short paragraph, he says. He says, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary or earthly treasures may be denied him. Or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go, all his earthly treasures, if he must see them go, one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for he now has it all in the one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. 
Tozer says, when we find our true treasure in God, it's true freedom. When our soul is captivated, when our heart is captivated by God, listen, we can be denied all the earthly treasures in the world and we won't, won't feel lost at all. We can receive them and they can be taken from us and we'll still be content because we have the source of all things. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you see it in your life if there's grasping and reaching? It's been simple. It's him. You don't need another program. It's him. You come back to him. I've just gone through this cycle of I don't know how long it will take for me to learn this. How many times I walk intimately and then steer from that and find myself empty, realizing God's saying, it's just me. Come back to the simplicity of walking in intimacy with me. And many of us may struggle with this as I do. And you may say, well, why do I struggle with this? I want to walk in what Tozer and these men shared. I want to be content and satisfied in the Lord. What's the problem? Well, it's a lack of attention to his present presence. We're not focusing on him. We, we, again, it starts in secret place with him, but it's a lifestyle of which we are living God-conscious. Not self-conscious, not problem-conscious, God-conscious. It's a choice. It's learning to place our attention on Emmanuel, God with us right here. Wherever you go in your life, whatever happens in that moment, do you know that you have the opportunity to simply withdraw to him at all times and, and, and be satisfied right in that moment no matter what is taking place? It's a call, you know, the scriptures tell us that we are to walk and grow in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is, is to live a life of which we are continually aware and conscious of him. The knowledge of God, wherever we go, this is how you walk in the spirit. It's walking daily in the moment with him. Jesus gave a picture. You can't miss this. Jesus gave a picture of being a vine and branches. And he said, look, I'm like the vine and you're like the branches. He says, and you need to be close to me, and if you are intimate with me, fruit is going to start abounding in your life. It's that simple. But he says, I am the vine. I am. He does not say, I was the vine. He does not say, I will be the vine. It's present tense. The presence of God is right now in the present. You can't find it in the past or, or in the future. It's right here. There's a life source available to each and every one of us. If we would simply turn our attention to him, the vine is there waiting for each and every one of us to satisfy the cravings of our soul. If you're anything like me, often I cry out, Jesus, save me from my sins, which of course he has, but you know, in the daily struggles, he saved me from my sins, but I don't think we often know how he does it. For Jesus himself, the living Christ, reveals himself to us, and through the power of his love, the love of sin is expelled. In other words, the appetite for sin fades in comparison to the majesty and beauty of who he is. It's as we place attention on him that he begins to swallow up the cravings for everything else. You see, we're often fighting the right battle, but the wrong way. So many of us see struggles of lust and anger and addiction and all these other things, and we go after trying to stop it in our own strength. You cannot do that. What he's done is he's revealed him who we've always longed for. Our job is simply to turn our attention to him. And as we gaze upon his beauty, he captivates our heart to such a degree that we no longer want those things. And we walk with him. You go out and try to do it yourself, and you will fall flat on your face again and again and again. John Piper puts it this way. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. It's that simple. It comes back to him. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. Eric Gilmore, who came for School of His Presence, who will come next year, 
He shared something, man, it's so rocked me. I read this week. He said this. He says, every slip of your foot, in other words, every time you stumble, every slip of your foot was first a deviation of your gaze. It's because we stopped being intimate. You say, why am I bound in what I'm bound in? It's because you stopped beholding. You stopped the awe of him. You lost it. And he simply says, turn your attention back to me so that your heart would be recaptured once more. It's because of the gaze. It's that simple. As you look upon him, you can't help but fall in love with him. He's too precious. He's too beautiful. You, if you spend time with him, you can't help to be changed. He does it in that place. What we need is our hearts to be recaptured. <laughs> That's what we really need. If you say, man, I'm stuck. What do I do? You need your heart to be recaptured by him. Do you know that's what he came in the first place? The scripture says in Romans that we've exchanged the worship of the creator for created things. In other words, we no longer look to the heavenlies. We only look towards that which was on this earth, created things, money, sex, power. This is what we began to worship. So what did God do? God stepped off his throne and entered into our created world in a created image as man. Why? So that he could stand before us and say, I am what you are looking for. And he began to woo man back to himself and say, I am what you need. And when he ascended to the Father, he takes every heart with him so that the scriptures say we can set our minds and hearts on things above once again because he has captured our heart once more. That's what he is. He stands here today and woos us and calls us back by his spirit to walk with him. And understand, if, if everything comes back to the gaze of our soul, to attention to him, beholding, being intimate with him, understanding that He's Emmanuel, God with us. The enemy comes to distract. It's to distract. I think, when I look, think about our culture, and I think about myself, and I see even my kids growing up, the lack of attention span is crazy. We don't know how to give attention to anything. We're scattered all over. And I believe it's such a trap of the enemy because it is in the simplicity of stillness and attention with him when you actually get before him. Be still and know that I'm God. Knowledge of God comes through the stillness it's the racingness around of being so busy in life where we say, I'm born again, but why am I so empty? Because you haven't tasted and touched him. He is life. You could go through all of this, but without him, there's nothing outside of him. The enemy can't take the presence of God from you, so he seeks to distract us, seeks to get our focus on all these other things rather than him so that you wouldn't see that in every season of your life, at every moment in your life, he's available. His ever-present strength is right there. If we would simply, in the midst of chaos at work, we have the opportunity to simply turn our inward gaze to him who is with us. And right there, he just swallows up every fear and every anxiety as we just still ourselves before him. He's with us at every single moment. Catherine Coleman said this. She said, the greatest sin, the greatest sin is ignoring a present God. The greatest sin is ignoring a present God. How many of you live more of a problem-conscious life than a God-conscious life? I'm usually more focused on my problems and my temptations. <laughs> but you don't realize what this is. What you're doing subconsciously is you're exalting these things above God. Whatever you put your attention on grows. It sounds like that's the right way to do it, to be so focused on all of my sin and my junk, but actually the more you focus on that, I can't change that. What's my job? To fix my gaze on him who did it for me, to fall so in love with him that I never do these things anymore. That's what he's called us into. Psalm 23, 4. Let me share this. When I, tell, when, I, when I speak to you about living a God-conscious life, I say this. This is so important. Many people in this room right now walk through extreme hardship. 
I know that there's losses of loved ones. There's threats of losing homes. There's so much stuff. There's health issues. When I say that we are living a, a God-conscious life and not a problem-conscious life, I'm not saying that we are denying reality in our life. I'm not saying that we just put a smile on our face and say that it's all good. It's all just going to be just, just fine right now. I'm, it's okay. I just deny what's actually happening. No, it's actually complete opposite. It's actually walking, as David said in Psalm 23, who says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. David declared, he's not denying. Look, look at the psalmist. They declared over and over, I'm surrounded by my enemies. I'm surrounded by my foes. Things aren't the way I wish they would be. I live in a broken world, but they said, I will fear not, for the Lord of hosts is with me. A God-conscious life is to redirect our attention on him at all moments and say, even though, yes, I walk through hardship, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, you are with me, Emmanuel, God present, is with me through this. And therefore, I can rejoice. And the other thing with this, in giving our attention, is when you give your attention to live in intimacy, this is how you follow God by the Spirit. Many times, the reason why we get discouraged and, and, and stumble along the way and want to quit is because we follow him in our own strength. Of course, of course, basic Christianity is God, our truth, our belief is that we could never work our way to God. God has to come to us because we're too sinful to bridge a gap between us and a holy God. So the glorious news is that God would come to us. But it doesn't just stop at salvation. We need him to pursue him. We need him to want him at all times. Do you... I just believe that there's so many, as, as I've experienced my life, so many so frustrated because you honestly want the Lord. Your earnest desires, I want to walk with him. I want to please him. Why do I keep falling or why do I keep just burning out? Because if you're not connected with him, what happens is you fall into religious devotion in your own strength. Peter, listen to me, don't miss this. Peter, when, when Christ was going to the cross, Peter stood before the Lord, and I believe it was so earnest. He says, listen, Jesus, even if everyone falls away from you, even if everyone fails you, you can count on me, Lord. And I believe Peter meant it with everything in him. He was sincere. But what Jesus had to teach him is, Peter, unless I go to the cross, and unless, unless you're born again of the Spirit, your best intentions can't do it. You can truly desire to walk with me, but unless I'm living in you and you've laid down your life to walk in the Spirit, you can desire all you want to be with me, and you'll keep falling on your face. Peter denied the Lord worse than anyone else. This isn't a walk of the flesh, it's of the spirit. That's why the scriptures say, Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might, it's not by power. Religious devotion is by might and by power. Many people love the Lord, but they're walking in might and power. And they stumble and they just think, this is just how it is. I, I do well for a little while and I just have a serious crash. And then I do well for a little while and then I crash again and just basically give up. But we don't walk by might or power. We walk by the Spirit. Do you know that the Lord prophesied through Ezekiel? He said, there's coming a day, which we live in now, because Pentecost happened. He said, there's coming a day when I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And I will cause you to follow me. The Spirit of God that's been poured inside of us actually yearns and longs for the Father. It actually is the very source we need. So first of all, God comes to us and we can't even come to him. Then he gives us his spirit, which desires him. And then if we just yield to the spirit, he rewards us for saying yes. 
it's absolutely incredible. Which means, here's the, here's the reality. The Spirit of God can take me to a hunger for God that is, can be sustained forever. My flesh, though, like Peter, if we don't learn to walk in the Spirit, my flesh, as much as I want him, will fail eventually. I can't. I, I can't. I'm broken. But as I learn to yield to him, die to myself, and learn to behold him and fix my gaze on him daily, the Spirit of God begins to rise up and I become possessed with him. And he takes me to places and leads me with a strength that I could never do in myself. And one of a man of God that I just love so deeply recently, David Popovici, he's a missionary in Iraq. Listen to this. Based on that, you know what he says? The fight of our faith. Here's the fight of our faith. He says is to stop fighting God. The only thing we need to do is to rest from resisting him. That's it. The only work we have to do, Jesus said, is to believe in the one the Father sent. In other words, entrust yourself wholly to him. Be with him. Spend time with him. Yield to the Spirit. And the Spirit of God inside of you will do it. Our only job is to stop being so stiff-necked and stubborn and prideful and actually just begin to walk with him as he's asked us to. And there's just incredible freedom and breakthrough that happens. The last thing I want to share with you here is really important. After this portion of Scripture, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it. After this portion of Scripture, um, the Lord, uh, the wise men come uh, to seek uh, baby Jesus. Many of you know the wise men. It's, uh, they're famous biblical characters. And as they come to seek baby Jesus, uh, they come into Jerusalem, and King Herod rules over Judea there. And as they come to meet with, uh, as they come to see Jesus, they come in declaring that the king of the Jews is born. They're looking for him. Uh, Herod catches wind of this and basically summons them to his, to, his, uh, uh, to his court. So he wants to meet with them. And it says that he's greatly distressed over this news, <laughs> that they've come to seek out the king. And I was thinking about this for a while. And you say, well, why is he so distressed? Well, imagine this. Imagine you are king. <laughs> and you sit on your throne and people come declaring that the king is here. <laughs> the king has arrived. Uh, he actually wanted to kill King Jesus. The reason is, is because for Herod, he saw King Jesus as a threat to his throne. And I believe in my heart that we have more of Herod in us than we realize. <laughs> Listen, this is for all of us. Uh, we all struggle with this, but there may be many here today who have never surrendered life to the Lord. And it's because... Jesus is seen as a threat to us ruling our life. I want to be king over my life. And Jesus has come to really save us from ourselves, because our rulership over our life is the very thing that has led us to the place that we are. It's us trying to control ourselves that has led us to a life of literally brokenness and complete despair. And Jesus comes today wooing us and calling us to say, step off your throne. Step down off that and allow me to be ruler over your life. And if you would do that, you would experience a God that you have been made to know. You would experience the deepest satisfaction in your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as I close here. Eric Gilmore said something else in terms of, I think this is so important, that the only fight we really have is to stop fighting God. But Eric Gilmore said this, many times God, the Spirit of God, it's looked at as rivers of God, and he said this, he says, oars, oars are forbidden in the river of life, in the river of God. Oars are forbidden in the river of God. You cannot steer and have control when you walk with the Lord. 
When Joseph, listen to this, when Joseph, in order for Joseph to receive this baby, do you know that it says that it says his name will be Jesus or Emmanuel? And you say, that's not that big of a deal. Well, actually, in a patriarchal society, this is a huge deal. The father, the grandfather of the house, they manage the household. And one of their primary responsibilities is they name the children. It shows that everything is under their control. So when the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, you're going to have this child and this is his name, he's telling Joseph, not only is this child going to come in your life, but you don't manage this child. This child will manage your life. And it will be the best thing that you could ever ask. I'm not saying it's the perfect life we're, we're, from a worldly sense, but it's everything we could have ever wanted. And so oars are forbidden in the river of God. We must lose control, but also striving ceases. Striving ceases. There's one way to freedom, and it's to surrender to Jesus. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing to fix our gaze upon the present presence, learn to live in that place every day, Striving ceases when we see the Lord of hosts is with us. I would say to the one that's frustrated, to one that feels bound, to the one that finds themselves in cycles, repetitive cycles of death and says, how do I get out of this filled with fear and worry? What do I have to do? It's fall in love with Jesus. It's fall in love with Jesus. It's just that simple. If you're bound, if you're restless, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're strung out, you say, what do I do? It's come back to him. He's always been the answer and he always will be the answer. It's Jesus. If there was more that was needed, God would have sent it, which means the key to the revival of a heart is him. The key to revival of heart is him. If you find yourself worn out today, if you find yourself tired, if you find yourself grasping for things, if you find yourself so discouraged and depressed, it's simple. There's been a break in intimacy with him, and he calls us once more to come back, to fix our gaze upon him. Our cry today must be, Lord, I don't care about anything else. Teach me how to love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, teach me how to lay down my life, that you would consume me and I would walk in the spirit, oh God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. What is he asking of you? What has he been speaking to in your heart? You say, I don't have the time to be with him like this. It's too costly. I can't do it. But I would just ask you for one moment, if you could just close your eyes and picture this. What was the cost of him to draw near to you? What did he give up in order to make a way for him to be available for you? What is he asking of us? 30 more minutes in the morning? A lunch break? on the commute to work, to worship him. And in doing that, he rewards us if we just say yes to him with himself. thought it was just going to be a Christmas program, but we're after him. We want him. We want the real thing. And right now in this moment, whatever you came in with, all of the heaviness, 
all of the bondage, all of the, the fear, all of the worry, all of the anxiety. You don't need to go through a program. You don't need a process. You need Him who gave up His life to be near to you. He's the one who stands before you and says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He's the one your heart has always longed for. Would you fix your gaze upon Him? Even if you don't know how, say, Lord, I want to do it. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, Lord. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.